All righty, Faith Baptist family, take your Bible. Chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to start. We actually saw these verses this morning. I want to lean a little heavier into them. Just a great passage um, that uh, paints a picture of Jesus' persistence and patience in people's lives, but also his wisdom in navigating um, the, the, the current understanding of his audience. As Christ is preaching, we saw this verse. We saw it in John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. So if you'll go there, um, we saw Christ dealing with uh, the folks in Jerusalem, and he is preaching the gospel, and uh, he is declaring himself to be Messiah, and uh, he drives people out with the whip in chapter number 2. A lot of that we talked about this morning. Uh, but then in chapter number 2, verse 23 and 24, we see why Jesus would just up and leave a situation. Now, I don't know if you, when you read the Bible, I, I oftentimes come to that kind of confusing moment where Christ does something miraculous and in the face of people and it's big and it makes waves. And you'd think Jesus would just like hold his ground, but instead he departs into the wilderness for 40 days after his baptism and the Holy Spirit comes down and the Father speaks. And we wonder maybe why that is. I think I talked about that recently on a service. I think it may have been last week. I want to show you the verse that actually asserts why he does that. And it, there's, there's a reason for it. I'm not just showing you a verse we saw again this morning. There's a reason for it. I want to point something out I didn't have time to lean into this morning. Look at John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit, and that means to entrust himself unto them because he knew all men. Here you have omniscient Jesus, knowing what's inside of the hearts of men. We won't develop that. We did develop that part this morning. Verse number 25, Jesus needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. No one had to tell Jesus what was going on inside of the hearts of these people. He formed mankind. Uh, he made man perfect and watched them fall and is now in this moment present to redeem mankind back to himself. But what you find, and here's the point I want to make, Jesus is going to leave Jerusalem. And he won't come back till John chapter number seven, but he will come back. And that's the point I want to point out that Jesus is leaving someone behind as it were, but he isn't finished doing a work in them yet. And then we move into chapter number three. And like I said, we find Nicodemus there and Jesus is going to lean into this and give probably the clearest gospel presentation in any of the chapters uh, of the gospels, just kind of a succinct chapter. Like I mentioned this morning, if I could read one chapter on, you know, line or on uh, national television, it'd be John chapter number three, uh, this sermon that Jesus preached to one man to bring to him a careful explanation of the gospel, but then something unique happens. This chapter closes without the conversion of Nicodemus. But what you're going to find in the character study of Nicodemus is that Christ never gives up on these people. Uh, there is slow faith being developed, yes, in Nicodemus, but the fact of the matter is he is still developing slow faith. He's a man who has a lot of questions. We saw that in chapter number three. He's a man of great intelligence and, and, and he's extremely analytical. Uh, he is a ruler of the people for a reason, but can I just say this? Slow faith is not a bad thing. Slow faith can be, yes, it's a dangerous thing to a certain degree, right? We want them to get saved now. We don't know about tomorrow. No man is promised another day. And so, yes, slow faith can be dangerous. But what is beautiful is you get the example, both in Nicodemus and also in Peter specifically, how Christ dealt with people who didn't get saved right away. And so I would assume there's, I know there are people who got saved this morning and I rejoice with that. Uh, but perhaps your guests either didn't come. Uh, I had two guests who were like, man, 
in. We, we want to be there. We'll be there next week. And so I'm leaning into that. My neighbors next week, uh, we're going to spend some time on Tuesday night. We're going to have them over to the house and then hopefully they'll come with us next Sunday. But I want to encourage you. What happens if someone isn't all the way ready to receive Christ? Well, let me say this. Today is the day of salvation, right? They ought to be saved. But again, maybe there's rebellion. Maybe there's a fear. Maybe the the Holy Spirit hasn't broken down all the barriers of unbelief yet. Uh, But I want to say this. Jesus sets for us a beautiful example of how to deal with and navigate someone's slow but progressing faith. And the progress is progress. That's just the fact of the matter. We wish they would all get saved and fall at the feet of Jesus and surrender to, you know, serving Christ with their life and supporting missions and faithfully tithe. We wish everything, we wish that for ourselves, don't we? That we would all be fully consecrated. But the fact of the matter is Jesus isn't impatient. He is patient with us, and he was patient with all of us. Uh, We talked about this, I think, last Sunday. Um, Some in the room are Andrew, and you got saved the first time you heard the gospel. Some in the room, you're Peter. It took a little while uh, to to receive the gospel. And so what you're going to find in the story of Nicodemus, we're going to track him through the gospel of John, is how Christ interacts with Nicodemus and how Nicodemus' faith seems to slowly but surely grow into what appears to be a fully consummated faith. And so let's pray, and we're going to dive into this study this morning and the two other appearances of Nicodemus. We'll get the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, is that the guy's name? Someone like that, whatever. Whoever Paul Harvey is, okay? Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the souls that were saved today. Lord, we want to lay that glory at your feet. Lord, we don't need we don't need to post that. We don't need to we don't need to put that out there and and uh, get the praise of men. Lord, we we don't want any of the praise. We want to lay that at your feet, God. You are a saving God. You purchased the souls of mankind, and that glory belongs to you. And I pray, God, we would be faithful and diligent, uh, Lord, to to yield it back to you. Lord, we didn't save anyone. You saved people today. We got to be a witness. We got to testify of the things we've seen and heard. Uh, We got to read the scripture. We got to uh, stand in some respects between heaven and hell for lost people today. And God, what a privilege that is uh, to be used by you. And I thank you, Lord, for the men and women in this room who showed up full of the Holy Ghost today, prepared for battle. And I pray, God, that we would learn something this week, that we would do that every week. God, that we'd be faithful and diligent to engage our relationships for the gospel's sake every week. And uh, Lord, next week, as we lean into the idea of the true purpose of man, I pray, God, that you'd help us to continue uh, to witness to those different folks. I pray, Lord, you'd help us tonight as we study. Lord, give us some strength. And uh, Lord, I pray the service would be engaging. And uh, Lord, that we would learn some things. But Father, that again, we'd leave here with a heart full of joy, just knowing what you've done. Lord, we are grateful to be your servants and uh, the sheep of your pasture. Lord, uh, to whom should we go? You have the words of life, Father. Thank you for being our redeemer. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Now, go to John chapter number seven. John chapter number seven is going to be the second appearance of Nicodemus. Um, You'd say, well, why doesn't Nicodemus appear in the other gospels? Well, John's gospel is a very unique gospel. It's considered a non-synoptic gospel in that it doesn't necessarily synthesize um, uh, with the other gospels. It doesn't contradict it in any way, uh, but uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke normally will share the same stories by and large, and they'll tell the same perspectives of the same stories, whereas John is going to have these very unique stories that aren't included anywhere else. And uh, I would say if that happened in like Luke's gospel, that would be a little concerning because Luke was not an eyewitness, but John was the disciple closest to Jesus. And so you get by John's gospel, these unique, super close up intimate conversations with people that you don't get in any of the other gospels. I just think that's a unique factor. Um, we could start in John chapter number seven, all the way down in verse number 50. Verse number 50 is where Nicodemus comes into the story. Um, but we would miss 
all that is in the rest of this chapter. Um, in fact, the main theme of John chapter number seven is Jesus. It's my observation. I think you'll find it to be true. Um, it's my observation. The main theme of John chapter number seven is Jesus dealing with slow faith. Um, you're going to find a bunch of different characters in John chapter number seven who are reluctant to believe in Christ. You'll find, once you realize who these people are, you'll find that eventually, if you know the New Testament, many, if not most, or all of these people do end up believing in Christ. But at the moment, John chapter number seven is written, they do not believe in Christ. And so you're going to see how Christ is careful in dealing with those that maybe are in our life and how we could deal with those in our life who have a slow but progressing faith. What should we do? Christ is going to give us some example here in uh, John chapter seven. So we're going to start back in verse 1, and uh, we will read. We, uh, we'll have a good time with it. We read like 35 verses this morning, and God used that. So uh, I'm leaning heavy on the scripture this morning and uh, this evening as well. John chapter number 7, let's lean in and see how Jesus deals with slow faith. John 7, 1 says this, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Well, what is the after these things? Well, if you know John chapter 6, verse number 66, um, that, that whole story there when Jesus gives a hard saying and John chapter 6, verse 66 says that many went back and followed not after him because he spoke a hard saying. Uh, he talks to the people and really separates the followers of Jesus from the people who followed Jesus for stuff. They followed Jesus for another meal or another miracle. And uh, Jesus speaks bluntly with this crowd of people following him and he really calls the the, the herd and uh, says, hey, listen, if you're not going to you know, eat my body and drink my blood, if you're not a real disciple of me, uh, then you're not me to follow me. And at that moment, man, there's a massive split between the fans of Jesus and the followers of Jesus. And it says that after these things, Jesus walked no more amongst the Jews. He could not be among them because uh, he knew if he stayed there, they were going to kill him. And uh, But what, what's unique is that you don't find Jesus abandoning the masses. So he leaves Jewry, goes to Galilee. He's going to walk in Galilee now and do his ministry in Galilee. But before we get to the close of the chapter, Jesus is going to be right back in the heart of Jewry. He's going to be right back in Jerusalem witnessing to these different people. And uh, like he'd left in John chapter 3 after uh, Nicodemus, he leaves Jewry. Well, back in chapter number 6, he's back with the, the people of the Jews. And then he's going to go back to Jerusalem. So that's the setting. Look at verse number 2. Now, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is unique. It's more of a celebratory feast, and uh, it's a time where the Jews go outside. This is like camping back in the Bible days. They build themselves booths and uh, uh, little little uh, houses outside. They live outside for seven days, but it's a celebration of the goodness of God that we actually have houses. But remember when we didn't used to have houses, we lived outside, and uh, it's a, a big remembrance feast of the wilderness wanderings. So look at verse number three. His brethren, pay attention, his brethren. These are his actual half-brothers, okay? So that'd be James, that'd be Jude, um, that'd be a handful of other guys. Was uh, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Now, if you know anything about the brothers of Jesus, that sounds like, hey, you should go. Your disciples are going to believe you. But let's peek ahead at verse number five. You got to see, you got to know this to, to know what, what tone of voice they're in. Verse five says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. So back in verse uh, number three, they say, hey, Jesus, they're having a big feast down in Jerusalem. There's going to be a whole lot of people down there. Why don't you take your disciples and go down there and like show everybody who you are? which sounds like a compliment, which sounds like a declaration of who he is. But again, understand the, 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 the temperature of right now. And I don't know, I don't want to read too far into this, but the temperature right now is the Jews want to kill him. And his brothers are like, hey, 
why don't you go to where the Jews are? So again, I'm not insinuating his brothers wanted him to kill him, but they did not believe in him. And at very least, they're, they're pushing him into a public sphere to declare himself, and they don't believe him, so at, at least to show he's a fraud, at most perhaps even to have him uh, arrested or killed. So it definitely seems a bit of a trap here. Verse number four. So slow faith, right? This is like absent faith too. But again, James is going to end up pastoring the church in Jerusalem. Jude is going to be the one that wrote the book of Jude. These are the brothers of Christ. But right now they are not believers and they're trying to trap Christ into going to Jerusalem. Verse number four. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. Don't you want to be known? Why are you doing all these things privately? Like, let us see you do these things. If thou do, uh, if thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now you see the whole picture. They say, why don't you go take your disciples, get out of Galilee, go do it where everybody sees you. Let everybody know. Because if you're actually doing these things, you should do it where people know. Again, it seems like they're calling his bluff. Notice how Jesus responds to a hostile response to his person. And I don't, I don't think, but perhaps you'll leave and you'll see that coworker tomorrow and they'll be like, man, your church was a bunch of jerks. You know, and they'll respond harshly. I don't know if that's the case. But notice how Jesus responds to a critic. These, again, will become believers. Um, For neither did his brother believe in him. Uh, Then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. He said, sorry, fellas, I'm not going right away. You guys... You guys go ahead on and, and you guys, you know, you, you can, you can go. It's not time for me to force the issue. Now understand this. This is not about preserving himself. Jesus will give himself. He will lay down his life. This is about preserving the prophecy of Passover that he will die at the time appointed and uh, he will fulfill all of those nuanced prophecies. Uh, so he says, you guys go ahead on without me. Verse seven, the world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I will not. I will not, uh, uh, forgive me, I go not up yet, and that's important because he will go, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. So Christ is very gracious. He says, listen, you guys go, the world will receive you, you go be a part of it. He said, my, my hour is not yet come. But again, he's, 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 he doesn't throw them under the bus. He doesn't call them a bunch of jerks. He's, he's very careful with them. Continue in verse 10. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Again, Christ didn't say he wasn't going. He said he wasn't going yet. So some time elapses, maybe a day, maybe more. We don't know. But they go down there. Now, keep in mind, Christ is headed to Jerusalem, the heart of, as the Bible uses the word, Jewry. And according to John's gospel, Jesus has already been to Jerusalem only two other times. Once was he when he healed the paralytic man in John chapter uh, number five. Uh, the other one is what we read in John chapter two and three. And so Christ has already been there. He's already made a stir. When he healed the paralytic man in chapter number five, man, the Pharisees lost their ever-loving minds. And you can't heal on the Sabbath day. How dare you do that? And really drove Christ out. That's why he, they want to kill him. So he's going to walk in Galilee. So now he's going to show back up. But notice what's happening. Notice the developing faith of the people in Jerusalem. Now, if you know, Jesus calls Jerusalem a nickname. Does anybody know what he calls them? He calls them the city that killeth the prophets. It's, it's a tough place. And Jesus has not given up on them. And that's so unique to me. If I was Jesus, I'd be hanging out in Galilee where there's fruit to be had, right? Going to Capernaum, going over here, going over there. But he doesn't give up on this city. Notice verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? 
So they heard about him. They saw him. They remember him healing the paralytic man. They remember the driving out of the temple in uh, chapter number two. Uh, they were, uh, probably don't know about Nicodemus just yet, but verse number 12, let's keep reading. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Notice there is a continual working day by day in the hearts of the people of this city. Verse number 13, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So the religious system is already upset. They've already, he's driven people out of the temple. Uh, those money changers, no doubt, well, they were benefiting the Pharisees. Uh, he's had his conversation with Nicodemus. He healed on the Sabbath. Uh, he had confrontation with the Pharisees at that time. And now he's going to show back up in this city. But nobody in the city wants to talk about it openly because the Pharisees. Let's look. Verse number, let's travel through our text a little bit. We'll read a couple verses together. Verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up unto the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them. They can't figure him out. I, I love it. And he's so careful with them. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but, him, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Uh, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? So what's interesting is that Jesus just straight out calls them out. Y'all are trying to kill me, which sounds like a paranoid man, except for the fact that he knows. And it was already stated they were trying to kill him, right? Nobody said it. The Jews aren't even talking about Jesus because they don't want to get, uh, you know, anybody upset. But Jesus flatly calls them out, speaks right at those who reject him, and notice their dishonest response. Verse 20, the people answered and said, thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Like, well, not us. We would never. Who told him, right? That, that seems to be more the issue. Verse number 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work, and you marvel. He healed a paralytic man on the Sabbath day. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye, uh, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man? If a man on the Sabbath day receiveth circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge ye not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. He said, y'all will circumcise a man on the eighth day if it happens to land on a Sabbath day. So the law of Moses isn't broken. You'll break the other law. You see what he's saying? So uh, you'd be circumcised the eighth day. If you happen to be born, I guess it'd be on a Sunday. Eight days later would have put you on a Saturday. So now you have two laws conflicting with each other and really not conflicting. But in the Jew's mind, Sabbath means don't do anything, but we got to circumcise. We got to keep the law. We'll do it both on the same day. And he says, if you'll do that and not break the law, then how is it that a man who gets healed on the Sabbath day and made completely whole, you're upset about that? He said, don't judge according to appearance, judge righteous judgments. Um, now, notice in verse number 32, evidently the Pharisees catch wind of what's going on. Verse 32, he's up there in the temple and he's speaking. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him and the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. We are very early in the ministry of Jesus, okay? So this cannot happen. Jesus has so much more to do. So he's going to preserve the prophecy, not preserve himself so much. Now, they send officers. What's an officer? Well, an officer is essentially um, a, uh, a staffer. It's a servant. It's the same word for deacon, actually, that's translated elsewhere uh, as deacon, dakonos. And uh, it's a servant of the high priest. It's their own personal servants. It's their gophers, if you will. Um, and they say, go out there and bring him into us, um, 
the reason they don't go get him themselves is because the last time they entered encountered Jesus, they got, they got told what. And uh, so they're like, you, staffer, go get that guy and bring him in here. And uh, meanwhile, Christ keeps teaching in the feast. Let's read it, okay? Verse 33. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while am I with you, and then I go and unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go? Notice they're, they're confused. They're developing. They're questioning, which is good. They're moving, right? Um, that we shall not find thee. Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, ye shall seek me and not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, so that's the seventh day of this feast, uh, the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So John kind of breaks from the narrative and states, hey, the Holy Spirit does come, but he hadn't come at this point, which is a unique way to write the gospel. No other author does it in that, that style. Continue, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? So, so see the picture. Before Christ shows up at this Feast of Tabernacles, everyone's talking about him, and they're all disappointed they can't find him. And then somewhere along the middle of the road in this week, Jesus goes up to the temple and starts preaching. And man, there's more stir. And then the Pharisees hear about it. They're going to send the officers down. And then on the seventh day, he stands up and declares, drink the living water and it'll flow out of you. And, and, uh, and the people, they end with all these questions. Man, he's a prophet. No, he's the Christ. And, you know, no, he's, is anything come out of Galilee? And they're, 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 they're hearing things. They're moving. There's progress being made. Verse 42, verse 42. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they're like, it can't be him. The Christ is born in Bethlehem. Except Christ was born in Bethlehem. So they just don't know. They don't have the full picture. They're, they're at least asking the right questions. So we're moving, right? There's some progress. It's slow. We wish it was faster, but there's progress. Verse 43. So there was division among the people because of him. Some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. So, and that's a reference to those officers and maybe some other folks as well. But notice what happens when the officers get back to the priest in the temple empty-handed. I love it. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and said unto them, why, they, so the Pharisees are going to say to the officers, why have ye not brought him? I love even the developing faith of the officers. The officers answered, never man spake like this man. They said, why, why didn't you take him? They're like, we just couldn't. We heard him talk. Like, I love that Jesus stands on his own two feet. I love it. Like these guys show up and they're like, yep, we got orders. We're just going to wait for the time. What's he saying? Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's really good. And by the end of it, they're like, we're going to get, no, we're not going to get him. Let's go back. They'd rather face the Pharisees than face Christ, which is a beautiful thing. Um, they, they get back and they're like, is this really the monster you guys were talking about? Like he is awesome. Verse 47, we're going we're gonna to see Nicodemus in a second. Don't forget that. Then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? You're falling for his lies. And then notice the junior high tactic employed here. Okay, this is like the biggest junior high play ever. Sorry, junior highers, I love you. Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Here's what they say. The officers come back and they're like, yeah, we aren't going to touch him. He, we've never heard anybody talk like that. And they're like, well, did any of us believe in him? 
All the cool kids, all the smart kids, all the people who know the law, those people who don't know the law, they're cursed. But the ones who know the law, have any of us believed on him? Not a single Pharisee, right? Verse 50. (laughs) Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? So Nicodemus speaks up and asserts the very law these men are or are employed to protect and defend and to state and to teach. And he says, hey, guys, again, I love the, I don't think it's coincidental. None of the Pharisees have believed on him. Hey, guys, um, do we really judge a man before we hear him? Are we really going to arrest a man before we ever hear what he truly speaks? And for the first time, we see Nicodemus. Um, again, the first time we see Nicodemus is at night. But this time, now as his colleagues are trying to capture and ensnare Jesus, Nicodemus speaks up in defense of the law. Did you see the difference there, right? There's progress, but it's my observation we're not there yet. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I talked to Jesus. He is not a monster. He is a Messiah. He is, he is the son of God. He told me himself. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. Like, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He told me these things we met while he was here a few times ago. But Nicodemus doesn't say any of that. And I'm not trying to add into scripture. What Nicodemus does stand up for is the law. Notice how they respond to him. They answered and said unto him, they're going to ask him a point blank question. And I want you to see if if Nicodemus answers it. Art thou also of Galilee? Which is a a derogative term for the followers of Jesus. Oh, you're from Galilee. So he says, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look out for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So he says, listen, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the law does it say a prophet's coming out of Galilee. Are you a follower of this Galilean? Here's the answer. Verse 53. And every man went unto his own house. So it doesn't seem like Nicodemus gives an answer. doesn't seem like Nicodemus puts his neck out there. Now, in the first time we meet him, John chapter 3, Nicodemus is at night. Now, Nicodemus being one of them, stands up for the law. When cornered, the Bible just answers and says, everyone went home. Okay? It's not ideal in any way, but we are seeing progress. Would you agree? We're seeing at night, alone from everybody, now, in the confrontation of the entire Sanhedrin, Nicodemus speaks up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not allowed to do that. Are you a follower of Jesus? And all we know is that everybody goes home. And that's not ideal in any way. But the faith of Nicodemus isn't, isn't just seen yet, but we are moving in the right direction. For that, we're going to have to go to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19, if you would, please. This will be our last place that we turn to. Y'all are listening so well. It's a great story. It's a great character study of Nicodemus. Um, it's, it, it adds so much color and character to John chapter number three. John chapter 19, verse 38. Excuse me. Christ has already died. And uh, understand, and I would assume many of you know, though not all of you might, um, when Christ dies, all of the disciples flee. Uh, only John stays uh, at the cross. Every disciple has fled. Uh, uh, Judas has hung himself. Peter is gone. Uh, you know, Thaddeus is gone. All of the men are gone. John alone stays with, uh, with Christ's mother. And uh, after his body is, is dead, no disciple goes back to take it down. It's the Sabbath day. 
But there are two men who do, and those two men are both in the exact same boat. Look at it if you would. John chapter 19, verse 38. And after Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews... So he is also a member of the Sanhedrin, and you can, look at, you can look that up in Luke chapter 23. It talks about him being a member, a counselor, and a member of that group. And again, so, so you know, and I assume most of you do, but let me, let me help. The Sanhedrin is the ruling body of the Jews. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the rulers of those groups come together and form the governing body of, of Israel, uh, the religious leaders. And so it's like the leaders of leaders, the teachers of teachers. And uh, both of these men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, are both uh, leaders of leaders. They're in the Sanhedrin. So after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred-pound weight. Now, just so you know, in modern-day terms, that's nearly $10,000 worth of spices. I would never, you can't, I don't think you could go to the mall and buy $10,000 worth of myrrh. Um, that would be a lot. But that's, that's what Nicodemus brings to bury the body of Jesus. Now, I remember this too. This is the, the night of Passover. And uh, the priest could not touch the a dead body. They've got responsibilities. They've got to go into the temple the next day and make sacrifice and so forth. The priest cannot touch a dead body or they are unclean and unable to participate in the temple work revolving around Passover. But here is probably the most beautiful display in all the crucifixion story. The only people identifying with Christ right now in this moment, the only people willing to take down the body of Jesus. And please understand, and I don't mean to be overly descript, but that's not an easy or a pleasant process. You have a, a dead bludgeon body hanging on a cross. You got to take one spike out at a time and part of the body comes down. The other spike, whole body comes down, the foot. That, that's not an easy thing to do. And here on Sabbath, you have two Pharisees taking the body of Jesus down, both who seem to have been very fearful to identify publicly with Christ are now quite literally covered in his blood, taking his body down to go lay it in Joseph's tomb. Joseph, his tomb is near that, that cross, that, that garden is near there. Nicodemus brings the spices. They carry the body of Jesus, laying him in that tomb. Uh, and now they're ritually impure. They, they, I looked it up, how, how it would work is if, if for one reason or another, and it can take longer depending on how you became impure, and I imagine it, the Pharisees would, would deem this probably unpardonable, but it depends on how you become unpure. So if you touch a dead body, there's a couple things. Basically, seven days, you're going to have to wait seven days in isolation. And then there's going to be the uh, ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling. And a priest is going to have to bring you back into ritual purity so that you can sacrifice. Well, I mean, that's way past Passover. And these guys are now ritually unpure, but covered in the blood of the lamb. It's not, they're not disciples. I mean, they're not, they're not apostles. They're two Pharisees holding and carrying the body of Jesus. Uh, and I don't think it mattered to them anymore that they wouldn't be able to go back. Look, look what verse 40 says. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloth with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man laid. There laid they, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at 
hand. So these two Pharisees lay the body of Jesus Christ in this tomb. And to me, it seems their faith is fully consummated. They've not just believed in their heart. They've not confessed with their mouth. They've confessed with their lives that this is our Messiah. And so let's just take a few moments. What we've seen is a slow faith developed over the span of John's gospel. But I want to take a few things uh, just briefly and, and kind of highlight them, what I see in the story just of Nicodemus and how Christ dealt with him. I'd say, number one, the Holy Spirit isn't done working um, even when we finish talking um, to someone about the gospel. And so go all the way back into John chapter number three. Christ gives this beautiful, super clear presentation, and that's it. We don't hear from Nicodemus again. Jesus doesn't seem to interact with Nicodemus again. But here's the thing. The word of God does not return void. The word of God has been sown into that man's heart. He has seen into the eyes of Jesus. He has heard the message of the gospel. And he is, an, he is not a, I don't think he's a regenerate man at that point, but he is a man that is changing and wrestling. Almost like the apostle Paul, it is not easy for thee to kick against the pricks. There is something inside of him that got stuck into him. It's almost like walking through a briar patch, right? You get, a, you get those like stickies in your socks and things. You just can't get away from it. It's pricking you all of the time. And my hope and my prayer for those who came today and did not get saved. And man, we were hopeful and we were prayerful and some did, but some might not have. Can I just give you this to rest with? The word keeps working after we're done talking. We're going to let Jesus do that work in their heart. We're going to pray for them this week. And honestly, I'm employing you to do that. I'm imploring you to do that. Uh, go to the Lord on behalf of your fa- friends and family, the ones who maybe watched online or came for the service and did not trust Christ. The words of God are powerful. They're sharp. They pierce, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. They cut deep. It's a double-edged sword. Let the word keep working. Don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. Don't. I was talking to my neighbor just yesterday uh, about it. And I said, hey, man, I said, I, I, you know, I'd love for you to come. And uh, we've talked before and so forth. And they said, I'd love for you to come. I said, but I, I understand if you don't. I said, I'm still going to be your friend, but I'm also probably going to invite you to the next one if you can't make it to this one. He said, no, man, invite me, invite me. And I've invited him to every single thing and he hasn't come. as a different neighbor than I was talking about this morning, but I'm praying and I'm not done and I'm going to keep working. And uh, uh, I told you, he was the neighbor who called me a couple weeks ago and said, man, I need you to pray for me. And man, God's doing something. God's doing something. I, I hope it brings about the salvation of his family. And we're just going to have to trust the word to do its work. Number two, what I learned about slow progressing faith is that Jesus sets the example of persistence. Um, Christ seems, again, in all these stories, to re-interact with these people. Now, directly with Nicodemus, it doesn't seem to happen again. But he shows up in the city again. And man, it's back in Nicodemus's face. And now it's at his workplace. And, and uh, you know, he had met him in a private space, maybe on a rooftop or maybe in a room. And now it's, man, it's at his workplace. And I love that, that, that when, when the Lord is pursuing someone, they can't escape it. They're going to hear about God at church, and then they're going to, oh, man, I'm glad that's done. And then someone's going to call and bring it up, or some circumstance is going to happen because God is doing a work in them as they are, they are going away from, from the, the sermon. But he gives us an example of persistence. Jesus going after Peter, showing up just so happens on the same seashore, uh, seashore. Sally with, with shells and things. Um, Christ actually, you think about the Decapolis where the maniac was. Christ shows back up to the Decapolis again. Uh, Christ comes back to Peter after Peter fails. Christ goes after Paul and after Paul and after Paul. And he said, again, it's hard for you to kick against those pricks. Nicodemus can't escape Jesus. It's like everywhere he turns, he keeps popping up, right? Um, and and just, just trust that God's going to try to do that work in their heart. We got to keep praying and be a part of that popping up process. Some of you have been praying for relatives or moms or dads. Just keep being a part of that popping up process. Don't just wash your hands of it. Keep going after them and see what the Lord will do. I'd say number three, and we're almost done, is Christ set an example uh, of, of being undeterred. Um, what, I, what I love is that Christ already knows the heart of Joseph. Joseph is embarrassed 
he's, he's, he's ashamed to publicly identify for fear of the Jews. Do you remember that? Christ is still gracious to him. He's still working on him. He knows that Nicodemus has questions and is trying to sort this thing out. It's too analytical for his own good. His, his analysis is overruling his faith, and yet Christ still pursues him. Christ knows the pride of Saul of Tarsus, and yet he still pursues him. Christ knows the unbelief of Thomas or the rejection of his own brothers. Don't forget those guys. I love that story. I love it. I I don't know what to fully make of it. It seems like they're pushing him into a trap. They're certainly trying to get him out on stage. It'd almost be like, oh, you you can sing really well. Well, hey, go take the mic. Like karaoke hours open. Get up there. Do it. Do it. Like brothers expecting him to fall on his face. It's at very least that. And yet Jesus so patiently continues with those men, shows back up after the crucifixion and resurrection. He's working in their hearts. It's not done yet. Uh, he's still doing work. And so don't be, don't be turned off by being told no. Don't be turned off by the fact that they might not have gotten saved today. That's okay. We're just going to keep going. Number four, and lastly, remember, Jesus makes all things beautiful in his time. It's our job to sow seed, to bid them to come, to keep after them, to, uh, to keep going and talking to them, to keep living out the love and message of Jesus, to having a conversation, engaging those relationships, praying over them, loving on them, speaking the truth. But the fact of the matter is, like I've said, and I love it, I love it, I love it, Jesus will stand on his own two feet. He'll work in their hearts. Now, again, you can't take the Calvinist way that says, well, if the Lord wants to save the untold millions, he'll do it himself. <laughs> yeah, the Lord wants to save the untold millions, so he told us to go and be a part of that. You keep doing your part, and Jesus will do his. And I am so, I am more convinced of that than ever. And, and again, uh, this morning for me, at least from how I was trained, it's a little unorthodox to just say, hey, you pray right there. I'm not even gonna lead you through a sinner's prayer. You pray right there. That's a little unorthodox and a little scary for me, but I've got to trust that the word's gonna do its work. The Holy Spirit's gonna do his work in their heart. And if they need help, hey, raise your hand. We had some folks who did that, great. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus can stand on his own two feet. I just got to do my job, and you got to do your job. And that, that is so alleviating to me, that it is not my job to force someone to be saved. It's also not my job to save anybody. I can't go out and get anybody saved. I can go out and show someone how to be saved. The Holy Spirit's the one who does all the saving. And uh, Jesus is the one who made the purchase, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does the drawing. The Father's the one who gave the gift, and they're the ones who save, not us. Man, what a privilege to simply be a small part of this process. But this process sometimes is a process. I don't mean you get progressively saved, like you're part saved now and you're part saved later. I'm saying if you're Nicodemus and you got more questions than you have answers and you're, you're too analytical, then yeah, it's going to take some time. And, and, but, but God is still doing a work progressively in them to a place where Nicodemus says, you know what? I don't care anymore. I, I'm, I'm identifying with him. And so hold faith, keep doing the job, keep doing, doing the, the, what you, God has called you to do. And we'll just let Jesus do, sort out the rest of it as, as we work on our, our loved ones and our neighbors. So maybe someone didn't come this week, go after him this next week. The beautiful thing about the sermon series is going to keep building. It's going to be continuously be about the gospel. The gospel writes our identity for us. And that's what next week is going to be about. So we'll pray and we'll be dismissed tonight.